In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The Word of the Lord In a series of revelations from the Lord God, Isaiah, son of Amos, saw what was in store for Judah and Jerusalem for years to come. Isaiah began his ministry as prophet at the end of the long and prosperous reign of the good king Uzziah, who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But times would not always be so good, for not all the subsequent kings were righteous. Several wicked men would sit on the throne, but neglect their duty as shepherd kings who were to guide God's people in the paths of righteousness. These faithless kings did not sit long, for they trusted in themselves and not in the Lord, the God of Israel. And eventually there were no more, no more kings to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Destruction and desolation would fall on the kingdoms of Israel and Judah as punishment for their rebellion and unbelief. The people would be taken captive, and foreign rulers would reign over them. But God's people would not be left without a king forever. One greater than all the rest would come, and this king would be different. He, the king of kings, would do more than just reign for a generation, broker treaties between warring nations, or rule over a segment of the world's population. He would come to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all. He, the king of nations, the desire of nations, as Haggai called him, the ruler they longed for, would be the cornerstone for uniting all people. Indeed, he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles, as well as the glory of Israel. God called Judah of Israel to be his special people, promising that the Messiah would come into the world through their family line, even through the royal lineage of David. But this king was always the ruler of the nations. He promised Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's promise was that in this coming king, this promised seed of Abraham, people among all nations and times would receive the eternal blessings of God's forgiveness through faith. Isaiah promised those troubled people of ancient Israel and Judah in those turbulent times that the day was coming when God would seize control of the world and reign in peace. He would do so through his Son, the King of Nations, who would gather many peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike, to the mountain of the Lord. 
The mountain of the Lord in Jerusalem was where the Lord was worshipped. In prophecy, it always referred to the place where the glory of the Lord dwelled and where God acted in judgment and salvation towards his people. But that place is no longer a place. It is a person. And that person, that king for whom we long, is Jesus Christ, the one who came to bring peace to those who are terrorized by sin and death. All the fullness of the deity lives in Jesus. He is the dwelling of God in the flesh. So the drawing of people from all nations to the mountain of the Lord is God's calling, gathering, and enlightening his church. It is the Holy Spirit drawing the nations to Christ through the word of the Lord, the Holy Gospel, and giving them the peace which none of the world's kings can give. This peace could only come through Jesus' death is being lifted up on the cross. As king of nations, he is love incarnate, ruling in grace and mercy. Jesus himself said that he must be lifted up in order to draw all men to himself. And so our king was crowned with thorns, worshipped in jest, and nailed to a tree. Though he took on a servant's form and became sin for us in death, he did so so that we would be made righteous and have life in his kingdom forever. Not even suffering and death could dethrone the king of nations, for in divine might he took up his life again in victory over death and the devil. And his second advent draws near, and as it does, we are reminded that his kingdom is not of this world, that his is an everlasting heavenly kingdom, a kingdom of peace and joy that he rules eternally with truth and grace, watching over us and protecting us, that he conquers with the sword of his word, that he has reconciled us to God and to one another, that he has made us his own, claimed us in holy baptism, and given us the gift of faith and entrance into his kingdom. As his baptized believers, we are privileged to enjoy his reign even now through faith, to live under him and his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and rules eternally. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. O King of the nations, the ruler they long for, the cornerstone for uniting all people, come and save us all, whom you formed out of clay. Amen.